1: This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Fears about North Korean instability can wait until it's determined that there's actually instability. An economic espionage campaign targeted the oil and gas sector. Much phishing surrounds government COVID-19 economic relief programs around the world. The U.S. Supreme Court will hear a case involving the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. Ben Yellen on facial recognition software in a world of medical masks. Our guest is Gonda Lamberink from UL on making product security transparent and accessible to consumers. And if you're studying from home, don't cheat. And a teacher, maybe don't spy. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, April 21st, 2020. Reports that North Korean leader Kim Jong-un is in serious condition as he recovers from heart surgery have been circulating, NBC News reports, but they report this cautiously and with reservations. If true, instability in the DPRK could be expected to be accompanied by cyber operations, and perhaps a spike in cybercrime, as Military Times suggests, and that anyone betting on form would expect. But the news from the peninsula seems to be that Kim isn't in extremis, isn't at death's door, and is in fact working. Yonhap summarizes the evidence that things north of the 38th parallel are pretty much as they have been in recent months, as normal as they ever get in that neck of the woods. The bottom has fallen out of oil prices, with futures actually trading in negative ranges. And the register describes a spearfishing campaign apparently designed to install the information-stealing Agent Tesla. The phishing emails impersonated NP, the Engineering for Petroleum and Process Industries, a well-known contractor in oil and gas production. Researchers at Bitdefender discovered and tracked the campaign, which actually antedates the conclusion of a meeting among OPEC and the Group of 20 that resulted in an agreement to cut oil production and stabilize prices. It's unknown who's behind the campaign of apparent economic espionage. The UK's National Cybersecurity Center is urging people to report the COVID 19 related scam emails they've received. The agency has established an online reporting portal to make the process simpler and more convenient. The NCSC has, according to ZDNet, taken down more than 2,000 online scams related to the pandemic, including 471 fake online shops selling fraudulent coronavirus-related items, 555 malware distribution sites, 200 phishing sites, and 832 advance fee frauds. Advance fee frauds, it's worth recalling, are a venerable email scam, long famous as the Nigerian Prince scam, The versions presently circulating promise a large payment in exchange for a small but non-negligible setup fee. The occasion of the offer is some bogus bit of nonsense about COVID-19, designed to render the mark willing to part with some cash in exchange for a big score down the road. It's not an investment scam where one might buy real estate in a non-existent country, a sure-thing penny stock being pumped and dumped, the Brooklyn Bridge, or shares in a heroic statue— Rather, the advance fee scam presents itself as the first stage in a transaction with the victim. The scammers say they need to move money and are willing to pay a service fee for the victim's assistance. They may simply say that Grace has moved their hearts to generosity toward the victim. But, of course, even the operations of Grace require the recipient to establish some financial infrastructure. It's, of course, a bad deal and worse theology. The current run of advance fee scams play upon COVID-19 news, one might think no one would fall for them, but people do. The Australian Cybersecurity Center's regular threat update, COVID-19 Malicious Cyber Activity, outlines a set of problems similar to those seen in the UK and elsewhere. Since March 10th, ACSC has received roughly two reports a day of Australians losing money to coronavirus-themed online scams, and note that these are actual losses, not mere attempts. With their private sector partners, including Google and Microsoft, ACSC has disrupted more than 150 COVID-19-themed websites that had been engaged in malicious activity. UL has a history spanning over 125 years as a safety testing and analysis organization. They've recently set their sights on IoT devices, aiming at providing clarity for consumers with the UL verified mark. Gonda Lamberink is senior business development manager, global identity management and security from UL.
0: So UL is focusing on various IoT uh, verticals or ecosystems for cybersecurity purposes. And even though there is a few uh, security standards and evaluation options out there, there wasn't something that was a good fit for consumer IoT or also portions of commercial IoT yet. And the IoT security rating uh, is meant to fill a void uh, that existed for a baseline security assessment. And um, this is in line with also some of the regulatory developments uh, calling out connected devices and that they should have reasonable security features, uh, such as the California Senate Bill 327. Um, So the IoT security rating assesses products for their security features incorporating industry best practices and then gives them a rating uh, where there is multiple levels that a product can obtain from levels bronze up till diamond
1: ah all right well uh, take us through some of the specifics here how do uh, how would companies go about uh, implementing it getting evaluated and so on
0: Uh, Yeah, so we have uh, incorporated uh, best practices and requirements in line with leading uh, industry and policy guideline documents. Uh, We've also written, uh, for example, a blog post on how the IoT security rating requirements compare to requirements uh, covered in, for example, the NIST guideline, NIST A259, or in the US, um, the C2 consensus, which is a industry consensus on baseline security uh, led by the consumer technology association and the council to secure the digital economy and some other uh, leading guidelines Um, so starting point is i think to look at some of those documents and then um, look at the iot security rating understand the the requirements that it covers Uh, we've published those requirements in a document uh, called the ul marketing claims validation 1376 Yeah, with a bit of an understanding of the requirements, start preparing for an assessment which um, we cover uh, in two flavors, uh, a lighter weight assessment that can result in a bronze or silver rating or a full assessment to a majority of the IoT security rating requirements um, where the resulting rating is um, levels gold and and higher, so levels gold, platinum or diamond.
1: And is there going to be an accompanying um, educational campaign to get the word out with consumers themselves?
0: Yeah, so we see a good opportunity for collaboration uh, with industry there, with individual manufacturers that work with us on the IoT security rating. Uh, We invest in co-marketing effort together with them to get the word out. We also see a potential role for retailers here. uh, If if they can start promoting uh, this label in their retail environments, and then um, hopefully also more direct outreach to to consumers but probably as part of collaborative effort with with our customers
1: that's gondo lamberink from ul the uk's coronavirus job retention scheme is also being used as bait by criminals prospecting individual victims less than 24 hours after the program opened yesterday computer weekly reports bogus emails sporting her majesty's revenue and customs branding and claiming to be from HMRC Chief Executive Jim Hara, were already hitting inboxes. Demand for relief under the scheme is expected to be heavy, computing says, and that will lend urgency to the scams, as well as tend to reduce the victim's skepticism and resistance. Reuters reports that the U.S. Supreme Court has agreed to hear a case that has the potential to limit the scope of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. The law prohibits accessing a computer without authorization— or exceeding your authorized level of access. The appellant, a former police officer in the U.S. state of Georgia, claims he was authorized to access the information that he obtained. His motive was assisting an acquaintance of his, who offered the police officer $6,000, to run a license plate to see if an exotic dancer was in fact really an undercover cop. He was asking for a friend, as it were, and that motive, he claims, is irrelevant. He was still authorized to run a plate. ZDNet reports that students in universities find themselves in conflict over university plans to install remote monitoring tools onto students' devices, the better to detect and deter academic dishonesty. The specific software package is Proctorio. Universities are concerned about cheating during exams administered online. Students resent the invasion of privacy, and some of them— not you, the student who's listening to this, of course, but other students, bad students— no doubt resist proctoring that would make it harder to cheat, copy, plagiarize, and so on. The university's concerns about cheating are reasonable, but so is students' irritation with this kind of dean of studentish hovering that no one likes. The center of the dispute, for now, is the Australian National University, but you can expect it to surface elsewhere. It's a classic, apparent conflict of rights and duties. Discuss, and class dismissed. And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's from the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security and also my co-host over on the Caveat Podcast. Ben, good to speak with you. Good to be with you, Dave. Uh, You know, I was out and about uh, taking a walk, getting outside recently, and uh, being the good citizen that I am, I was wearing a mask to cover my face to help protect myself and others. The CDC appreciates you, Dave. Mm. (laughs) But one thing, a side effect of this was that uh, from time to time I would try to look at my phone and uh, my face ID on my iOS device would not let me in. It was not at all amused at the fact that I was wearing a mask. (laughs) And uh, that reminded me of this article that I saw come by. Uh, It's a long way to get there, but an article in Ars Technica written by Kate Cox, Uh, And it's about some shirts that can hide you from cameras and this notion that uh, that we may uh, be able to hide ourselves from facial recognition software. What's going on here? So facial
2: recognition uh, is generally very good at what it does. This article talks about that in China, for example, the facial recognition software they use there has been trained to identify people who are wearing medical masks. So perhaps that would have solved your issue of not being recognizable. <laughs> Maybe on there'll Face be an update ID yeah. <laughs> on your device. But unlike human beings, according to this article, you can trick the facial recognition software if you sort of bombard the software with very confusing, incongruous uh, images that you know throw off the learning capability of uh, this artificial intelligence. Then you can cloak yourself. Uh, in order to do so, you have to wear probably one of the silliest shirts
1: I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, I, and I've, and I've uh, seen you in person, Ben, and uh, you're not someone who's afraid of silly shirts. I, I'm so. not, no. <laughs> uh,
2: I wouldn't call myself a fashionista, um, but I'd probably rather expose uh, my identity to all 7 billion people in the world than wear this shirt. And I don't mean that literally. <laughs> um, but they do have a picture of it uh, on uh, in, this, in this article, and they call it a bright adversarial pattern. It looks like the craziest Christmas sweater you've ever worn. Okay. <laughs> uh, um, I, th- I think the author jokes that you could probably see this from space, but it does <laughs> render the wear of uh, this shirt or sweater invisible to the software looking at this person. So the question hmm. is, you know, Are people concerned enough about privacy and the age of facial recognition that they'd wear these sort of cloaks? Because now we know that that technology exists. Humans created the uh, facial recognition software and humans have figured out a way to provide a cloak to it.
1: Are you drawing attention to yourself just by wearing something like this? Is that enough to, uh, to put yourself under suspicion? absolutely i mean if i saw
2: a person wearing this sweater out in public i would stare at them for several minutes just to figure out (laughs) what in the world was going on um so it's sort of a conundrum to make yourself invisible in the world of facial recognition you need to wear this very colorful silly shirt but that makes you far more visible in the physical world and in public And that's why I think, you know, even though the technology exists, we're not seeing people go out in public with shirts designed to confuse facial recognition systems or any type of similar software.
1: From a policy point of view, could you be running afoul of any law or anything by doing this? Not the way I read it. There's no law preventing you from
2: you know, providing yourself an invisible cloak in uh, responding to any sort of facial recognition or similar software. Um, right. I
1: mean, Over on the caveat podcast, you and I have talked about, we've gotten feedback from listeners that there are some places who have prohibitions against masks, for example, but this would not be that. This
2: isn't that. And to somebody who knew nothing about facial recognition or, you know, any type of artificial intelligence, this would seem to just be a silly shirt. So unless mm-hmm. law enforcement were explicitly trained to find these types of shirts, which once you create many of them, it would be hard for them to identify which ones are invisibility cloaks, then mm-hmm. I don't even think there's a way of enforcing it. And then you have you know potential First Amendment issues of expression, you know policing what people wear in public as a law enforcement matter um, could get you into some sticky areas. So I don't see a law or policy that would prohibit somebody from wearing one of these invisibility cloaks. Now, yeah. if it becomes enough of a problem that law enforcement isn't able to do its work because we get to a point where most shirts are manufactured to evade this type of technology, then that's where you know Congress could step in and uh, or you know a state legislature could step in and make policy banning this type of shirt. But as we've talked about on this podcast and on the caveat podcast, the law and the policy making is always behind the technology and because the technology mm-hmm. is so new i don't expect that that's something that we're going to come across in the legal world for a long time
1: yeah i almost wonder if something like this could be a, a, a sort of a badge of honor uh, of someone for people in the know to say hey i look at me i'm you know i'm sticking it to the man nobody's going to going to track me and and folks who are aware of it would be able to kind of you know, It'll be sort of be like a code word when you're out in public. You know, you give a knowing nod, nod to, to someone each other, so Yeah. You pass each other with your with your colorful shirts on. Yeah,
2: it's uh it's sort of like being in the world's nerdiest gang, you know? It's like you, <laughs> you, you recognize the oddly blotted color scheme, and you're like, I right. I see right. what you're doing here, but right. Right. you've they done your research. Each other. And, yeah, you've done your research into invisibility cloaks for uh, right. Artificial intelligence, you're one of those people. Um, but right. yeah, I, I could definitely see that happening.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, it's interesting uh, research. Again, the stories in uh, Ars Technica. Uh, ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And that's the Cyberwire.